Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good afternoon, Shifu. How are you all today? Very, very good. Hmm. Let me see. Uh, reception. I didn't know we have a reception nowadays. Huh? <laughs> huh? We don't even have a place. How come we got a reception? <laughs> huh? So hoping you are working at the reception. No. Uh, let me see. Then just now was there was a VCN. Then she disappeared. Uh, June is with us here today. Ah, VCN. Oh, VCN. Uh, you turn on your webcam already. Okay, everybody. Good. All right. Today's topic. Ask me anything. Ask Sifu anything. Do you know how the format goes? Vician says, sorry, I was busy downstairs, so I have to settle my kids first. Um, no worries. There's an, an easy way to settle our kids. You need two things. One is masking tape. Second is ropes. Masking tape and then ropes. Then they cannot make noise, cannot disturb you. <laughs> Someone is going to cut up this part and then post all over the internet. Monk suggests to tie up our kids. <laughs> so today's topic is kind of interesting uh, about making offerings to the Buddha. <clears throat> oh, making offerings to the Buddha. And the uh, the question itself is like is it a is it a meaningful practice yeah? or is it a ritual uh, or is it a myth mm, offerings to the buddha so um first off uh when we do offerings to the buddha there are different ways of doing it traditionally in the buddha's time when people offered to the Buddha, he was literally offering something. Yeah, to a to a real life person. So when they when they invite the Buddha to to use the uh, let's say a town hall for the night, uh, it was literally asking the Buddha to stay overnight at the town hall. Yeah, to be the first person uh, to use the place. Yeah. So the Buddha and his monks would be invited and usually the town hall, the, the hall, not just town hall, the various hall in the Buddha's time, they would have a central pillar. Yeah, there's a central pillar in the, in the middle of the hall and the Buddha would sit with the back against the wall. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I don't think he was leaning against it, <laughs> yeah. but basically back facing the, 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 the door. Um, and I, if I don't recall wrongly, many of the hall would have doors in all four directions. Yeah. And if you would face one of the directions, usually the eastern direction or something, then the monks would sit behind him. And then the, uh, when it was time, the lay people would sit in front of him. And then the lay people would uh, maybe ask him some questions or offer lunch the next day or something. Yeah. So that's one kind of offering. Uh, 
Other kinds of offering in food include the four requisites. Uh, so lodging is just one of them. Offering is the third, which is lodging. Yeah, lodging is the third. So we have offering of ropes, offering of food, offering of lodging, offering of medicine. Offering of medicine. In the Buddha's time, um, it was uh, it was frowned upon for ascetics to be taking transport. <laughs> yeah, ascetics is supposed to walk here, walk there, <laughs> unless you are sick, yeah, or unless the path requires transport. Yeah, so uh, in those days, it's a bit different. Yeah, uh, but nowadays, uh, is it possible that we we say that oh, if if the monk or nun need to go somewhere, we walk. Is it possible? <laughs> uh, I would say that it's not impossible, but it would mean that, for example, if I need to go and give a Dharma talk, even in Singapore, easily you need to walk three hours. Yeah? From where I am, if I walk to BL, it will be at least about three hours. Yeah? Three hours to walk. I've ever walked from, uh, from Kongming San to Geelong. Yeah, <laughs> because at that point in time, my father was overseas, my sister was overseas, no one driving. And then my mother uh, uh, requested for me to go over for lunch. And then nobody arranged transport. So I, I wait, 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 waited until that morning and nobody offered. So I decided, never mind, I will go. Since they requested, I will go myself. So I walked out and as I was walking to the main road, I thought to myself, ah, maybe will there be anyone who just happened to drive past and offer me transport? Then walk, walk, walk until I reached the main road, nobody. Ever there was, there were, it ha happened before. Well, halfway then people offer transport. So okay, let's take transport. So then I thought, okay, I'll take the bus. So I walked towards the bus stop. But when I reached the bus stop, I thought, since I reached the bus stop, maybe I just walk to the MRT station. Then I take the MRT there. Then as I walk towards the MRT, then I thought, since I already walked to the towards the Bishan MRT, why don't I instead of turning to the MRT, I just walk straight down towards uh Topayo side. <laughs> so I walk towards Topayo and then I cut through Topayo, then go to cut across somehow I cut across and walk past um St. Michael, the Sri Lanka Ramaya. Then I walk, 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 walk all the way to Gelang Baru, then uh, Kalang Baru, then Gelang Baru, then Gelang, then. Yeah. So by the time I reached, it was about 11 plus, about, about two, three hours. Yeah. When I arrived, my second sister was at home. And then she was, she didn't think much about it. She, she thought, hey, oh, Sifu, you come right here. <laughs> then I said, yeah. Then she, then she noticed, yeah. hey, hey, how do you come? Huh? <laughs> then I said, I walk here. Then she said, huh? <laughs> So in the Buddha's time, uh, lodging was offered, um, medicine was offered, but transport, uh, you rarely hear about it being offered. Yeah. So as a, as a general rule back then, um, these four requisites, yeah, clothing, uh, food, then lodging and medicine was offered yeah, as part of the basic requisites. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the Buddha and the monks and nuns only only received these things, yeah, because there were other items that were also in use, 
yeah such as later on bathings were allowed yeah beds uh, and to eat then we were offered then that uh, different different items were offered uh, including arms bowl and so on and so forth yeah uh, and eventually even the, the more permanent lodging was offered yeah uh, nowadays you seldom hear of um, like one whole big garden being offered or, or a or a forest being offered, but in the Buddha's time, such things were offered. So then, it, in today's context, what are the things that is commonly offered? Uh, we still offer the four requisites, yeah. Um, but in addition, like just now we recited, yeah, Puppa Puja, yeah. Uh, then we offer, so we offer the the flower, not not flowers. We offer the the light. Uh, we offer the uh, incense. So this were this offered in the Buddha's time. This were offered, but um, not so much that the Buddha sit there. Then they offer, and then you know, the hundred people come, hundred people offer incense. Then the Buddha sit down there. Huh? I think if hundred person offer incense to the Buddha, the Buddha had to wear masks. Huh? <laughs> if hundred person offer candle. Then I think maybe the Buddha may ask, why you want to cremate me right here? <laughs> uh, so why were candles and incense offered in those days? Uh, simply put, candles were offered because uh, at night it provided lighting. Yeah? Because in those days, monasteries were not what we think of today as monasteries. Like often they say, Anatta Pindika's Park Jeta's Grove. Right? So, Jetawana. So, Jetawana, Anatta Pindaka Park actually refers to, um, like, like for example, you think of McRitchie. Yeah, uh, McRitchie. Yeah. Singapore, in Singapore, even forests have lampposts inside. <laughs> uh, it's very hard to find a place without lampposts. But in ancient times, no. In fact, if you go to other countries, yeah, most other countries, uh, even the city area, they don't have so much so much lampposts all over the place, right? Only main roads have lighting. Between buildings, it's no no man's land. Yeah, if it's private property, you don't like it, that's your problem. Yeah, uh, but in Singapore, it's very different. So sometimes in Singapore, when we look at the sutta, it's like, why ah, what, why why do we offer light for what? You know, yeah, and as a result, offering of light becomes like a ritual. It is, and we start to feel like it's something spiritual, you know? Yeah. Wow. Then you imagine the light having some magical power. Yeah. And then you offer light. Then, wow, somehow the light shine on your head. Then uh, become more, more what? More enlightened. Yeah. Let me introduce you to something else, okay? Give me a second, huh? <coughs>
So today, I have to show you all some props. <laughs> Not props, uh, these are actual things. Uh. So, so we have different kinds of candles. Introducing the modern IKEA paraffin lamp. Yeah, this one produces zero, almost zero smoke. Only in the initial five seconds when you light it, when the wick itself is combusting and not 100% combusted, then there's a bit of smoke. But once it has started the combustion process, uh, it is near to 100% combustion, so you don't see any soot appear. Yeah, it's odorless. Then you have this type. I don't know what is it made of. It's yellow color. I think it's to make it look like it's ghee, but I don't think it's ghee. I think it's some kind of wax. Yeah, this one can last maybe for one whole day. The IKEA type, four hours. I'm not getting any commission from IKEA. <laughs> I'm just showing you whatever people offer me to offer, okay? Then we have this type. This type is supposed to be made of uh, the, the ghee. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be. I don't know whether it's really ghee or not. Yeah, but in, in some of the temples, they like to offer the ghee, the, the candle that is made of ghee. Yeah, so it's actually the, um, it's like butter, butter lamb. You know? um, and some feel that that is more correct. But actually, you think about it, uh, the only reason why in the Buddha's time that was probably offered, or in India, that was oftentimes described is because of availability of resource. That was the more common thing to offer because that was what people used. Yeah, but what's wrong with using this lamp? <laughs> you know, there's nothing magical about offering ghee. You know, the the butter lamp. Nothing magical about it. Do you get more merits if you offer butter lamp? <laughs> huh? I don't think so. Uh. Yeah. Uh, let me introduce you to a modern alternative. It's called a torch light. <laughs> or you can also offer this. This one is a lamp, yeah? electric lamp. Electric lamp, you, you, you can switch on and you don't have to replace it. Yeah. So in our house last time, we have um, two, two of those, uh, we call it the which translated from Hokkien would be the the Leigong, what is Leigong? Thunder God, Lightning God Lamp. <laughs> I think uh, I think so. Tan Lui, Lei, means thunder. So actually sometimes we get this thing wrong though. Thunder is a sound, right? So San Dian, you know, San Dian is the light. So we should be offering Tian 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 Gong Ting. Not Lui Gong Ting. Uh. <laughs> Don't know. But anyway, we have those light red color one, very traditional red color one offered. Then on top of that, we have one which is the four watt uh, lamp, which is which looks yellowish. Then on top of that we have one uh, very nice container filled with oil and then the wick in the center. Yeah. We went through many different types. Yeah. At some point we even have the 
weak long pipe, then you can adjust how long is it, it is it. Yeah. Then we offer that. Yeah. So it's very interesting because at night the author has a very well, some would say eerie. Some <laughs> because the, the, the candle, the, the lamp will flicker. Ma. Yeah. Then there's the glow. But the red color lamp is usually turned on only on big occasions. Yeah. Normal occasion only the small lamp. So um so things have evolved clearly. Yeah, clearly things have evolved. Back in the days, light, candle, lamp, whatever, it was for as far as we see from the sutta, purely um, practical purposes. Yeah. Um, but then certain attributes were, were associated, yeah, that if you offer lamp, then you know it is meritorious, uh, and so on and so forth. The way I see it, offering lamp is meritorious because you aid in people's learning of Dharma. By lighting lamps along the way, people can, can know where to find the Buddha. By putting offer lamps around the Buddha, people can see the Buddha when he's talking at night. Yeah? Because many of the talks were given while it was evening time, night time. Yeah? And there's no spotlight, there's no there's no hall with a lot of light. So in the middle of night, you cannot see anyone, right? Uh, so imagine if you are in the forest, right? You walk into the forest and then you see big faintly, yeah, the moonlight. Because the, the moon sometimes full moon, sometimes not full moon. Nah, yeah. So when it's full moon, you can see the Buddha. You can see the whole congregation of monks. Yeah. But when it's not full moon, then how? So you offer light. Yeah. But today, do you need to offer light? Do you need to offer any, uh, any more light to offer? Is there such a need anymore? Yes and no. Huh? In a way, yes. In a way, no. Yeah, no, because anyway, do you have the Buddha at home? Any of you have the Buddha sitting on your altar? <laughs> huh? No, right? It's a statue, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, why do we then still do it? In fact, when we do prostration to the statue, then some people from some religion say, oh, you're worshipping an idol, and things like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is open secret. Huh? I mean, not open secret, this is an open fact. Yeah, don't have to hide about it. Yeah, and I'm not trying to stir anything, but this is a fact. Yeah, for some re reason, people like to pick on what Buddhists are doing, <laughs> even though they are not Buddhists. Yeah. Uh, so then what are we really doing? Whether it's offering of uh, light or lamp, or we offer like for example incense, yeah. Why do all this? Why do all this? So again, incense in the Buddha's time had um, as far as I know two purposes. One was to purify the air, so it's it is um, not not foul smelling. Yeah. Uh, if you go to some of the um, places, sometimes in the forest where there's damp, where there's uh, stagnant water, you can have a certain stench. Huh? Yeah. So by burning some incense, it purifies the air. Then easier for people to not be disturbed by the scent, yeah, the smell, and then focus on the teachings. And so all this has to do with that. Um, 
But for today's context, uh, we have a statue of the Buddha. Uh, we don't have the physical Buddha yeah, in all your houses, right? Or in temples for that matter. So then what are we doing? What we are doing is using the symbolism of the statue of the Buddha to remind us of one simple thing. The simple fact that um, while in our day-to-day -day life, um, sometimes things go our way, sometimes don't, things don't go our way. Sometimes as a result we are happy, sometimes we are not so happy. And sometimes we meet people who are happy, sometimes we meet people who are not happy. And then sometimes we meet people who are unhappy, then they give us trouble. <laughs> then sometimes we meet people who are happy and they don't share their happiness with us. <laughs> yeah. And then we become envious of them and jealous of them. And we try. We try to be a better person. We try very hard. We try, maybe sometimes not very hard also. <laughs> so, sometimes we fed up, we also give it to people. Then sometimes people give it to us. Not give us present, give us, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, give us a good time, a good time. So when we, when we um, do our, our puja, yeah, whether at home or in a temple, and we look at the Buddha, it is a reminder to us that in each of us is that potential. Potential to be free of defilements, potential to be free of suffering. That despite our faults and flaws and weaknesses, our imperfections, that we have this potential. And that this potential was realized by someone who can be sort of symbolically represented by this statue. Not that the Buddha exactly looked like that, huh? not necessarily. It's supposed to be like that. Yeah, it's supposed. That's why there's a word supposed. Ma. <laughs> you think about it, there's no one unified form of the Buddha. You realize that? High, high temple, the Buddha looks thinner. <laughs> you know? Uh, and then the, the aura is drawn like a, is carved out like a flame, right? Then the Chinese temple, the Buddha looks plumber. And some, some of them got three lines here. Uh, all very rounded. Yeah. And even the ropes look a bit different, you know? Yeah. The Chinese, the Chinese Buddha, the Chinese statue of the Buddha wear ropes that look like Haiching, <laughs> look like Chinese ropes on, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then even the Bodhisattva looks Chinese. But if you look at the Gandhava, Gandhara period, of the carving out in China, then the, the, the style looks non-Chinese. Yeah. Uh, some would say that it looks more like Greeks, Greek carving. Yeah. And this has historical basis because carvings of the Gandhara period and older, those are the, the very early form of the carvings. And the, the carving were heavily influenced by Greek culture. Yeah. India and Greece, not that near, but there's still some influence over those centuries. Yeah. So you'll find that the early Bodhisattva carving had moustaches. Yeah. 
uh, in part to highlight that they are not female formed and also to highlight that they are non-monastic. There are various different uh, carving, ornaments and so on, details. Yeah. So um, then if you look at Tibetan, Tibetan Buddha, uh, the, the, what, really very thin. Huh? You notice? The Buddha, the, I mean, not so nice for me to say, but objectively, you look at the Buddha head, much smaller, you know. Uh, so why is it that way? Because it is carved in approximation to the locals. Yeah. So that is something that, that the artisan can identify with and people can identify with. So can we say that any one particular one is the actual way that the Buddha looked like? Not exactly. Uh. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, so, but all of them share certain traits and features that points to his qualities. The quality of the different practices that he has uh, brought to perfection through countless of life, through many kalpas of lives. Yeah? And what is the purpose of all this? Is to remind us that way back the Buddha was like us. Yeah? But if we were to start practicing, we can slowly move towards that state of perfection. That despite our flaws and imperfection today, we can in time be able to truly care for others, be of benefit and welfare for others. Yeah, to be free, truly free. Not, not like now. Now we try to be free, free of mask. <laughs> uh, yeah. In the Buddha's time, the Buddha described how we are not free. We are fettered. Fettered. Sifu, we are bounded. Fettered and bounded by what? Not by mask, but by our defilements, by our fetters. Our wrong views bind us. Yeah, that despite all this, we can be free. Well, we can be free. So, um, when we do offering to the Buddha, um, it should be done in this manner, with this mindset. Yeah, not that, not that there's, not that the actual physical statue, whether in stone or marble or wooden statue actually need to smell the incense uh, and and you need to offer like otherwise buddha scared uh. <laughs> buddha scared of duck <laughs> no uh. yeah so then if we look at the the puja we went through uh, it also shines light on uh, another angle yeah so for example when we offer uh, candle offer light to the buddha it, it reminds us of uh, the, the parallel between what we are doing versus what the Buddha has done. Yeah? To him who is the light, we offer light. Yeah. When we say the Buddha is the light, that's to say, what, what is it talking about? In Buddhism and in some other religion, yeah, light is symbolizing wisdom. No? Light symbolizes wisdom. And so, when we offer light to the Buddha, we say Buddha is the light. Why? Because he embodies wisdom. Yeah. So, we offer wisdom to Buddha? <laughs> uh, no, we can only offer the physical light. Yeah. But 
it is our hope that in so doing, we are reminded of the essence of Buddhism, which is wisdom. Yeah? That all the practices we do ultimately is to remove the darkness of ignorance. So from his greater lamp, uh, here this the symbolism again, his greater lamp representing his greater wisdom. Not that the Buddha go around in India with a backpack with a big giant lamp behind. Uh. <laughs> then giant lamp light, then that's why there's an aura of light. <laughs> no. Uh. But of course, this represents the Buddha's greater wisdom. But then a lesser lamp we light within us. But again, we must understand this is symbolism. It doesn't mean that, oh, because you light a candle, then you have you light your wisdom. No. It is that as you light the, the lamp, it reminds you that you have to light your spiritual lamp, yeah, which is to grow in wisdom. Yeah, to grow in wisdom. Yeah, because without wisdom, then there's ignorance. With ignorance, there's delusion. With delusion, then there's greed and hatred. And with all this together, aggregation of suffering arises. No? So um, among this, then there are other types of offerings, such as the offering of incense. And as I mentioned many times, the offering of incense in the Buddha's time, there was a particular sutta where the Buddha talked about the various kinds of incense. And then he drew the parallel, highlighting that while as far as physical incense is concerned, there, is, there are different grades of it. And then the one that is of the sandalwood is most refined um, and it spreads very far and lasts for a long time. But then the Buddha highlight there's another kind of scent beyond the worldly physical scent, which is even more supreme. And it is a scent of a person who is uh, virtuous. Yeah? So someone who practice morality. In some other places, then it includes the um, concentration. That the, that the reputation of such a person uh, would spread further and last longer than any scent that you can uh, uh, bring about by offering incense, yeah, by burning the incense. Yeah. But here you must think, Lona, it is not that the Buddha is highlighting, is trying to get people to be craving for reputation. Yeah? It is comparing and saying that if you are virtuous, it, it has a more last, long-lasting impact on people. Think about it. When you, if you are a virtuous person and people speak of you, what does that do for them? It will inspire them when they hear, Wow, there's such a person who is so kind. Ayo, wow. Huh? And then, like, you know, let me tease my mother a bit. Huh? Then, Teochi will say, Oh, yeah, horsey. No. <laughs> huh? Correct or not? Is it? Huh? Mama, correct or not? Teochi will say that, right? Wow, you can't horsey. Yeah. Uh, so, when we are a virtuous person, people will speak of us. <clears throat> we may not be there, we may not benefit directly, but the aim is then it will inspire others to also be virtuous. Yeah? Likewise, if you were to practice in various ways, then it inspires others also. No? 
Even more importantly, <coughs> it is a reminder for us to purify ourselves. Yeah? Um, some of the other offerings is a bit interesting. For example, uh, in the, let me see, uh, in offering flowers, in the Chinese Mahana tradition, it's done a bit differently from Theravadan tradition. Theravadan tradition, when you offer flowers, is a reflection of impermanence. Yeah? So you will see that in Theravadan centers, uh, maybe not so uh, congruent as well, not, not unanimous as well. But rightly speaking, if it's a reflection on impermanence, then you let the flowers stay there until it wither and really fall off. Then it's a reflection of impermanence, Mark. But Chinese temple will not let that happen. Will never let that happen. When you see flowers, it's always in a perfect state. Not plastic flowers, huh? but they will, the moment it starts to yellow a bit, change. <laughs> yeah. And this has to do with that the attitude towards offering flowers is a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. It is seen, it is um, ascribing to some other sutras that talk about adornment of the of the Taochang, uh, of the place of cultivation. That you seek to beautify the place so that uh, those who come here will rejoice in it and there will be it will help them to be in the right state of mind to do practices. Also not, not bad. Huh? Also not bad. But <laughs> long time ago I had a conversation with my mom. And I told I told my mom, I said, after learning the Pali Canon, I told her, I said, I think maybe when we say Zhuang Yan Dao Chang, it shouldn't be using all these physical things to adorn the 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 cultivation center, you know. Yeah. As far as I understand, after I read both the Mahana text and the Pali, Pali text, my understanding is to truly adorn a spiritual cultivation place is to adorn it with your purified body, speech and mind. Is if you practice the precepts, practice concentration and practice wisdom, that in that way you truly adorn the place with your practice. Then truly you adorn the place, you dignify the place. What do you all think? Huh? Think about it. Anyone can buy flowers and put it there, no? Yeah. Even even people who are evil can buy flowers. Right? Is there when you go to flower shop when you want to buy flowers, do they say, Oh, so you want to buy flowers? Huh? Is it to offer to the temple? Oh yes, offer the temple. Uh, okay, so but before we check out your card, huh, can I just check? Do you observe the precepts? Huh? What precepts? Five precepts, you know, abstain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, and abstain from alcohol. Uh huh? Huh? You mean there's a requirement? Uh? Yeah, you didn't know. Uh? Yeah, last week we changed our policy already. We only sell flowers for offering to the temple to those who are virtuous. Ah, you didn't know? Uh? Yeah. You send out email. <laughs> no right. You go to you go to the florist. Anyone with money can just buy the flower, isn't it? You go Taobao, order all the ornaments and whatever. Yeah, anyone can order, right? Or not. If you ask, if you ask some interior designer or whoever come and do the deco, do they ask you? Are you are you virtuous? Do you practice concentration? <laughs> no right. 
Yeah. But still, I don't say that that's bad. I think that is also good for a start. Now, because why? If you go to a temple, and a temple look old, old, the paint looks a bit washed out. Yeah. How do you feel about the place? I don't know about your heart, but when I went on a few pilgrimages, I always feel very serene when I see a temple that's very old and worn down. Yeah, I feel very at home in such a place. But when I go to temple, wow, shining new and no leaf on the floor, everything perfect. I feel like I'm visiting uh, Disneyland, you know. <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel like I'm visiting a cultivation place, you know. And so very interestingly, when I visited uh, Rome, when I when I was invited to the Vatican City, and I visited some of the old basilica, what do you call it, basilica, the very old church, right? And some of the churches, the 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 threshold, so there's a door, right? And then there's the steps. Some of the steps are centuries old, and because the 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 Catholic priests or monks, they they would climb these stairs for all the centuries until it got worn out. Wow, when I see that, I get so inspired, you know. Even though I don't subscribe to the same religion, I respect them for their, you know, for their um that kind of tenacity, for their perseverance in their faith. Yeah, and it inspired me, you know, really, really. I went to one of these church and I see the the, 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 the statues of the different saints that they recognize in their religion and then sometimes there's a small plaque describing giving a bit of background and I look at them and I'm like yeah, even though I profess to, to take refuge in the Buddha and awakened one but in terms of effort in terms of my perseverance can I even match up to what these individuals who have come and gone centuries ago, can I match up with them? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we can say all we want. Oh, ours is the truth. Everybody also said this is the truth, but you know. But when I look at the statues, and of course, don't go and pick on it and say, sure, no, really, they really practice so hard. I don't know, why, but I like to think that there's some truth in between, okay. Yeah. So when I visit some of these centers, I get quite inspired. Not inspired to believe, to share that belief, uh, but I get inspired to say, just as these individuals, they, out of their faith, their, in their belief, they put in so much effort, then why not me? You know, since the, since I profess and I take refuge in what I, I see as truth, then all the more I should work harder. Yeah. So when I visited uh, some centers in Sri Lanka, some centers in Bhutan, some in Tibet, and I see the very old old temple that's not refurbished at all. Yeah. Oh, I get very touched. Yeah. Not because I feel anything. It's, don't be mistaken. Uh, I cannot feel anything. What? <laughs> As I always tell people, I'm a very numb monk. Um, no feeling, yeah, no feeling, yeah. It's not that I go there. Wow, I feel the energy. No, yeah, I don't feel any energy on. But when I see that these places have been worn down by 
centuries of cultivators who come and walk past the hall. You know, sometimes when you go to the those uh, Tibetan monasteries, yeah, uh, the floor is inundated. Why? Because of the 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 centuries of lamas who walk past this hall. You know, or the places where they used to do prostration, and you see certain marks where where mark. Yeah, imagine if. Imagine if after every you know every five years they, they, they do yesterday I was having a conversation with Vicky and May we uh, we walk we walk past Thompson Upper Thompson and then there was this particular condo that looked so worn out no and I I just uttered and told them I said well oh, this reminds me of some country nearby I don't say which country otherwise later create some tension between us and them because. I ever go to this nearby country, don't say where, but we can drive there. <laughs> the condo there is so worn out. No? So this particular one, I look at it, I was like, wow, this is it's, it's unheard of in Singapore that you can find a, a building that is so worn out. That's water stained, algae. I was like, wow, let's take a photo. Then you know what? I think I'm like, I, I took out my phone. <laughs> sure, I'll take a photo. And I'm like, I told them, I said, hey, somehow, in the camera, I cannot see the 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 edge, you know. So I told them, I think the camera beautified too much. <laughs> so imagine if temples every five years, every ten years, you fight wash everything. It it loses that, you know. Yeah. Of course, this is again still zhao xiang now. Yeah, so still fun for yeah. But in the Buddha's time, uh, there were a few occasions where the Buddha, like when the Buddha was at Kusinaga in his final days, when he was going to pass away into Parinibbana, Nanda commented saying, let the Blessed One not pass away in this wayward place, you know, this backwater alley kind of place. Like that place, that Buddha passed away was uh, in the Buddha's time was not known, you know, like <laughs> so then the Buddha said, do not say that about this place. This place used to be prosperous. Many a long time ago, there was this city in this place and there was which Buddha who was here. Then at another time, there was this other city and there was another Buddha who passed away here. Yeah. So, um, as much as we say put zhao xiang, but <clears throat> without the xiang, then most people cannot relate to that to the auspiciousness of that place, you know. Uh, so it cuts both ways. Uh. For some people, when they go to a temple that is looks very worn down, they feel like, eh, how come not 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 grand grand one? Uh, uh, some people like the temple to be very nice, very clean. Uh, looks very like grand, you know. Got diamond, uh, got emerald, uh, got crystal here. Uh. Uh, so that's why you go to some uh, Southeast Asian countries. Uh. Some of the temple, they even seem to pride themselves in having all those gems, you know. Yeah, I don't see which country. Uh. <laughs> some country you go there, then they have the like that one. 
Uh, then up there, then there's a diamond, big, big diamond. Don't know whether it's still there or not. Yeah. And they even put markers on the floor to tell you. And the tour very funny. Clearly see that I'm a monk. Still say, ah, Sado, come here, come here, stand here, you stand here. Then I'm like, I thought like, wow, how come I asked me to stand there for what? Then he said, stand here. Then I, okay, I'll oblige. I walk there, stand there. Then he said, then I say, stand here for what? Then he said, you, you, you see, you see. Sado, you see, you see. You can see the light, red color. Can you see red color? Then I'm like, you asked me to stand here just to see red color. You want red color? You want red color? Like that red color. It's so clear, it's red. <laughs> oh, the other spot is stand there, you can see green color. I'm like, oh, Pyong eh. Why are we so caught up with colors? Eh? <laughs> you want to see color? You take out a handphone, you search rainbow. Huh? Ah, very simple. You want to see whatever color you can see. If you are not satisfied, Sifu, Sifu write a program for you. You can select RGB, whatever combination you want. <laughs> no waste of time. Huh? Not what to do. That's why there's all this offering. Because there are still people who need. Yeah, they need all these things offered there, then they feel inspired. Yeah. And if I ask you, if I tell you that Every day you you just recite Panchasila, you observe, then you recite the refuge, you take refuge, and by doing that, you can offer that to the Buddha. I would say that some people would appreciate that. But for many people, you feel like you haven't done enough. You feel like you need to offer something tangible, like a candle. <laughs> like some flowers, then you feel like, wow, you're really offering something. So for those who still need that, that's why there are all these practices. Yeah. You look at some of the, and don't, don't be mistaken that, oh, this is just a Chinese Mahayana thing. You go and look at Chinese Mahayana Sutra. Hmm. When we talk about offering, the highest form of offering is offering of emptiness. Offering of wisdom, <laughs> yeah. Offering of the three practices, not offering. Right. Look at Dhamma Sutra. Those who have gone through Dhamma Sutra, you should know, right? Yeah. The Buddha say, even if you offer the whole Mount Sumeru full of the seven treasures, yeah, that is not worth a part of just reciting, memorizing four verses. Or even up to explaining to others. Yeah. Just four verses, more than offering all that. And then the Buddha in various parts of the Dhamma Sutra even go further. That even if you offer massive amounts, amounting to the dust packs number of Mount Shumeru world system, you know, it's just multiple, you know, of the seven treasure. Even that amount doesn't amount to comparison. Cannot be compared compared to the merits <clears throat> of cultivation, of penetration into the Dharma. So don't be mistaken. Because when we look at Chinese Mahayana, it tend to be wah, uling uhonga. Yeah. Whenever there's puja, there's always a lot of deco, yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. But if you look at the sutra, it paints a slightly different picture. Yeah? It actually 
points towards wisdom. And here I must say, <clears throat> all the Buddhist tradition actually points in that direction. But because all the different traditions exist in different places, different people have different needs, you know. So if you just tell them the ultimate offering, who can do it? <clears throat> Not many people can do it. So give you a small staircase. Suppose to reach level 100, but tell you, okay, level 1 just offer physical things. Yeah. Oh, so in some traditions like the Tibetan tradition, yeah, you see they have seven cups. They are filled with water. Right? Uh, everything seven, 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 seven. Oh, so the table must be quite big. <laughs> uh, then last time I saw someone, I don't say who, uh, uh, but I saw someone buy the seven, seven kind of precious stone. Yeah. All the different gems, you know. Yeah. <laughs> then I told her, I said, What is this? Then I said, I don't know. Then I said, What is all this? It's all the very good, precious stuff. Then I look at her and I said, Is it, is it precious to you? Your diamond. Ring the diamond necklace, your gold necklace, that is more precious. You should offer that. Don't offer, don't go and buy this one. How much is this? If you think about it, you go to Fortune Center, you can buy a whole bag for what? $20? How is that precious? You know, no precious. Yeah. You want to really do offering? All the different kind of offering. There's an under, another underlying layer, which is the practice of relinquishment, yeah? which is about non-attachment. So even when you practice dana, it is pointing towards the end of suffering. It's for us to practice non-attachment to material things for a start. But for a start, if we ask you to go and really offer your very things that you are very attached to, a bit difficult. So give you first Ground floor and first story give you one step. First step, uh, offer things like flowers. Uh, who cares about flowers? Okay, offer. Ask you to go and buy Ikea lamp. <laughs> what do you care about Ikea lamp? Uh, then upgrade a bit. Uh, go and buy seven gems. Go, go fortune center, go and buy. Then uh, contribute the economy. Then buy, offer. You think Buddha need your seven gems? <laughs> Um, later a lot of a lot of temple come and come and have asked me to drink coffee. <laughs> uh, no, as I said, let me let me iterate. Uh, these are necessary steps. Yeah, for a start. Yeah, for a start. But you must do it with the right view. Don't think of them as an end by itself. You think that just buying the seven treasure, <laughs> those seven treasures now, yeah, $10 one whole bundle. Well, how is that precious? No, Shifu, I pay $10,000. Or you cannot con. <laughs> Once in a while, ask yourself, 
what are the things that is really so precious to you? The most precious thing to us is what? Our life. Isn't it? That's why in some of the uh, Buddhist texts, it talks about the practices of a Bodhisattva where they make a vow to even relinquish their life. But not asking anybody to just go and commit suicide for no reason. Huh? Okay? From there, then there's there some extension talking about offering of the finger, offering of the limbs, and so on and so forth. All this is pointing to what? Number one, non-attachment to the body. Number two, that if a person wants to attain Buddhahood, enlightenment, liberation, liberation so that you can uh, help teach and guide other sentient beings. All that is more important than this stupid body. That is the attitude we are supposed to be cultivating. Oh, uh, so don't be mistaken, some, some lay people or maybe even monastics are uh, oh, very attached to having number of holes, you know. Wow, then they feel like they must have more holes. Recently, one, one student asked me, hey, Sifu, can you help me burn the incense here? Then I, I was like, why do you want to do that? That is only when you take Bodhisattva vows. Then he said, but Sifu, nowadays very hard to go to Taiwan. Uh. Singapore don't conduct that, right? I say, yeah, not, not common. <laughs> then he said, so Sifu, can you help me burn them up? You want to burn? Uh? Let me show you an easier way, okay? This is called, this is called a soldering iron. Huh? You burn this, take a long time. Somehow the hole is small. This one, one time, bzz, go inside. <laughs> then you've got to go A and E immediately. <laughs> but is, is that the purpose? That's not the purpose. You know, so if you, you must know that whether it's doing offering or doing other practices, you must do with the right mindset, right view. If you do with the wrong view, then it's not a Dharma practice, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not a Dharma practice. I can tell you very clearly, it's not a Dharma practice. Yeah, if you do with wrong view, then it's a heterodox practice. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> because you think about it, right? A lot of people are very attached to all this, you know, like must like this, like that, but they fail to see what is the purpose, what is the intent. All this offering ultimately points to, as far as the Mahana Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva path is concerned, yeah, non-attachment to the body, yeah, to physical things, and to cultivate the Buddhista, which sees Buddhahood for the sake of liberating sentient beings as the foremost, near pan wei sang so, as the foremost, the most important. So important, this physical body is it pales in comparison. But when we meditate, do we have this mindset? Not to mention you offer your finger. <laughs> huh? When we meditate, yeah. A bit of hot weather, oh yeah, so uncomfortable. Huh? A bit of mosquito, a bit of uh, insect, oh yeah, got insect. Yeah, we meditate a bit, then construction, ding 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 ding, tong, 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 then we, oh yeah. 
we are so attached to our senses. But if the next time you meditate, you consider, I offer this pure body, speech and mind to the triple gem. Yeah. And in order to make sure that it's as pure as possible, I shall put the practice as the foremost, most important thing. That how, whatever discomfort I experience, I offer that away. I offer my comfort away. Huh, can, can do that? Uh, you offer your comfort. Yeah. Don't go and go, go Funan Center. Not Fossil, not Funan Center. Fortune Center, go and buy seven gems to offer. Yeah. You offer your, your comfort away, that's free. You don't have to buy anything. Huh? And if you can do that, then it's no longer a ritual and not a myth. Then that kind of offering helps you in your path, helps you move forward in your path. Otherwise, when you offer, if you offer with attachment, if you offer thinking that just lighting the candle or the incense as an end by itself produces something, I'm afraid <laughs> it is just planting the seeds of ignorance. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Every time I get carried away, you know. So supposed to let you all ask questions. <coughs> Never mind. We have we have uh, some a few minutes to go. <clears throat> okay, so let me look through some of the questions. Uh. Jun asks, Amitofo Sufu, could you please share opinions on using cryptocurrency as the means of transaction in offerings? <laughs> well, luckily, this Sufu know a bit about what cryptocurrency is. Or example, blockchain tech uh, to, as a means to verify the source of offering. This claim. I have very, very little understanding. It's based on what I heard about how things might evolve toward in the future. Well, using cryptocurrency, uh, cryptocurrency, blockchain, blockchain is actually the, <clears throat> the how. How, how um, transactions are authenticated. Yeah. So basically, they, they store the whole history in a ledger that is, um, that is stored as, uh, as the hash. Yeah. Uh, to explain further, you will need to learn about hashing technology, the different hashing approach, and then how that evolved into the crypto technology. That cryptocurrency is just an application of the hashing hashing technology. Yeah. In fact, this hashing has been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, as early as I think 10, 20, uh, several years back, several decades quite a few uh, decades ago, we have the earliest, very early form MD5, which is a very common one. Yeah? Nowadays, MD5 hashing is just used to verify whether a file has been modified. So you have a large file, right? How do you verify that anybody has changed it? When you upload to the, to the web, um, you generate an MD5 signature. Then you post both, both files, both items up, and then when people uh, download, they verify with the MD5. So if you modify just one bit, 
the signature would be different. Uh, so that was how uh, com well engineers in the computer world, you know, we use make use of hashing. Yeah, but in the early days, MD five was also used to encrypt uh, things such as the TGP, whatever the the email, MIM, SIM, whatever thing, you know. But that was way back. Uh, that was way back. Then eventually they find that MD five can be reversed. <laughs> can be. Uh, you can actually do a brute brute force attack so it's quite easy to find the pattern yeah so then later on came out sh uh, a yeah then sh a 256 you know larger and larger yeah but now um sidetrack uh, newer advancement they use uh, parallel processing and then now with quantum computer that's beyond me already uh. I don't know how quantum computer works yeah but supposedly they use the entanglement thing and they can massively calculate a lot of permutation all at once yeah so by by doing that theoretically they're supposed to be able to crack even the highest encryption known today within a very short time so then back to this um, my opinions on using cryptocurrency as the means for transaction in offerings so there are a few points. Number one, uh, as with any new technology, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of unknown. Yeah? But as far as I'm concerned, it's just a new means of uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, handling authentication. Yeah? So cryptocurrency is very interesting because instead of having banks as central repository to manage transactions, it is peer-to-peer. Yeah, so there's no there's not supposed to be any central place that decide oh this transaction happened or not yeah rather the propagation style okay this is getting a bit technical huh? but since you are asked <laughs> the propagation style is a bit more like dns server replication yeah so when you change the dns address some part of the world may still use the old address but over time it gets replicated and they get replicated by comparing the records and then deciding who has the latest one. So cryptocurrency does something like that. And they do a very interesting like voting. So when they see that majority has A and not B, they will adopt A. Yeah, something like that. Lah. The details is another thing. So as far as technology is concerned, me being a technology person, <laughs> to me, I don't care. Yeah, whether you use crypto or whatever, no much difference. But there are people with concern about how, um, number one, the means of managing this data. Because it uses up a lot of CPU cycle, it uses up a lot of power to run the transactions. Yeah, um, This is more incidental than otherwise. It's not that they purposely come out with a system that uses up a lot of power. Yeah, so some people have concern that if we go in this direction, then it may use up a lot of power, as in electricity. No, not, not power as in control. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know which angle June is going for, but uh, that's as much as I know about cryptocurrency. Uh, personally, I don't have much concern about that. Uh, some authorities, some countries have concern because it, it, it makes the transaction anonymous yeah but recently i i think i encountered a piece of news that 
somebody in some countries managed to to sort of uh, unravel this so they can actually trace still trace back to the uh, who initiated the transaction and so the anonymity is gone yeah and many countries are holding back on crypto because anonymity means that you can transfer money without anyone knowing who transferred to who then open for fraud open for usage of money transfer of money for purposes that is not legal uh, but i'm not into policy making <laughs> yeah as far as crypto is concerned i'm i'm, I'm looking at it from technology lens uh, technology is is uh, doesn't care about that part of the story okay so somebody else variable sir the greek style buddhas sound interesting could you share more about buddhism in ancient middle east and pre-muslim countries uh, I would say not so much just Middle East, but Middle Asia. The whole of Middle Asia had had Buddhist influence, yeah. And some of these countries, not all, some of these countries actually adopted Buddhism to different degrees, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so we can see from the different translators who actually originated from uh, some of these states that today is where we call Middle Asia and most of them are Muslim countries now. Uh, this part of the information, very interestingly, was I think not so well known in Buddhist circle, at least not in Singapore, until year 2001, where when the Taliban bombed the Bamiyan, Bumiyan Buddha, <laughs> right? The three big Buddha, not just the three big Buddha, actually there are a lot of Buddha cave there, and then they bomb all of them. Yeah. Then some of the archaeologists from, I think, France or some European countries, they, they ask for some concession and then go there and dig out the Buddha and transport them out. Yeah. So some of them were transported out, but the rest were all destroyed. So what's interesting is, the more they try to destroy it, the more people realize. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I have spoken on this openly in Interfaith Circle. Uh, um, the truth that the Buddha discovered cannot be destroyed. Yeah. But throughout history, not just these uh, individuals in um, the, the Middle Asia countries yeah, that they tried to destroy the, the Buddha statues, throughout history, when countries go to war, they often destroy each other's temples and religious artifacts yeah, and places of worship. And why? Because, as far as I know, it stems from the early um, ideology of religion, where most religion, if not all religion, back in the days, is centered around the belief that their God is the most powerful. Yeah? Um, and so if my God is more powerful, then your God shouldn't be so powerful. And how to prove that your God is not so powerful? I destroy your temple. <laughs> If your God cannot even protect your own, your own temple, you think your God can protect you? Uh, so it stems from this idea. Uh, and this idea is not created by me. Uh, so don't, don't go and shoot me down and say, oh, this monk tried to stir, stir trouble. No. This is, I mean, if you read it enough, you know that whether in fiction literature or in historic record, this happens. You know, it's part of the kind of ideological warfare. <laughs> yeah. Psychologically, we can you, you know. 
Yeah, you see your, your, your state religion temple, brah! Then you're like, oh, how can we fight anymore? Our temple is gone. Yeah. But how about Buddhism? So unfortunately, Buddhism is sometimes quite misunderstood. Because Buddhism also got, got temple, got Buddha image that's quite big. Man. So for most people from most religion, they would think that Buddha is just another god. Yeah, that the Buddhists believe in. And unfortunately, Buddhists don't always do a good job explaining ourselves. Yeah. But because in Buddhism, we don't have such a belief that Buddha is all-powerful. You know? So you, you destroy it. Okay, so 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 what? It doesn't prove anything. Because at the first place, we never accept that the Buddha is all-powerful and he will protect the temple. Yeah. For that matter, in the Buddha's time, there's no clear evidence that the Buddha had images of him, you know, he, he, he it was not apparent. Yeah. Some some sources suggest that or oh, some parts, you know, things like that, but not so clear. So anyway, that's that. <clears throat> that itself is a whole series of talks on. So I, I will just touch and go a bit. Okay, so uh, another question, not trying to stir the the smelly smelly thing, but is the Buddha tooth, Buddha's tooth relic at Chinatown Rail? Uh, so this is not stirring stirring the SHIT thing. <laughs> yeah, but rather ask yourself if it's real, so what? If it's not real, so what? Ask yourself, just now we talk about Buddha's image, right? When you when you go to a temple throughout Singapore, throughout the world, is there any temple where is the real Buddha sitting down there? No, right? So does it matter whether the tooth relic temple, the, the relic is real or not? What constitute real? In Buddhism, these these are helping us to point to a certain quality. That part is real. And that is what is important. <clears throat> because even when the Buddha was around, don't, don't, don't take my word for it, uh, but let's look at what the Buddha said. When people are attached to him physically, not after he died, then they got a relic. Uh, even when he was around physically, the Buddha wanted people not to be attached to his body. But the Buddha tell them, if you want to see the Buddha, you must see the Dhamma. When you see the Dhamma, then you will see the Buddha. And to me, that is the answer. That if even in the Buddha's time, the Buddha's focus for people is to focus on the Dhamma, then what more of the relics? And that's why in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, when Venerable Ananda asked the Buddha saying, so what do we do with, the, with, with your remnants after you pass away? The Buddha said, don't, don't, don't bother yourself with that. There will be lay people who, who would venerate it, who would you know, deal with that. You go and meditate. So I will look at whatever relic there is. Yeah, as a symbol of the Buddha's awakening. And that's all. Even 
even if now you 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 show me oh this is the actual actual one certificate of authenticity from british museum <laughs> archaeologists 300 archaeologists sign and double chop on it i would still say it's still a symbolism yeah is there any sutra where the buddha say ah he whosoever hold on to the buddha relic shall attain enlightenment in no short time is that such a sutra no the buddha never said that instead the buddha said take refuge in the dharma vinaya that is your refuge that will help you attain enlightenment not some relic i mean think about it right if the relic is so important when the buddha attained enlightenment he should have just use his psychic power yeah everybody who can't see okay don't ask me so much come come i'll give you some relic uh take go uh huh uh, bless you oh take go uh, next one long queue uh, behind long queue weather hot no hurry up hurry up right uh oh uh, uh, tell you what all of you stand where you are oh okay go oh i transport you magically out of this town go okay next batch all appear in fact all of you next week don't have to come out huh? just stay at home i will just manifest the rally in all your houses for that matter then how about buddha kashapa buddha dipankara he should have just manifested the whole earth as a relic right then <laughs> yeah so i think the buddha proof relic temple serves a purpose it reminds us of the presence of someone who practiced very hard and then managed to overcome human suffering having relic is just another way of representing that not not no other if we can pay respect to a buddha image why not to the relic or if you want to say it's a replica or whatever it's okay to me it's no problem but if you are archaeologist ah oh, then you will take issue because then you are not trying to attain enlightenment uh, so you must figure out what are you trying to do are you trying to to be an archaeologist uh, then you better go and look at all the buddha image and then try to sneak around carve out a small fragment go and do carbon dating <laughs> see whether it's from the gandharva period correct your your buddha image is also not from buddha's time right? then is it less holy it is as holy as you practice the statue itself is not holy i can tell you holiness comes from our mind when your mind is pure and you act and you purify your body speech and mind then there's holiness not by statue is a place holy otherwise a lot of seafood restaurants they also put buddha image on is that place very holy <laughs> i mean i hate to say this uh, but no actually i don't hate to say this i, I want to say this right right a, a lot of a lot of those who are selling seafood they also play, they are also they say that they are buddhist also what they also buddhist what they also put the buddha image uh, or maybe Kuan Yin Pusa image but does that make that place holy no it doesn't make it holy it just tells us that they are trying to be holy they are trying to be protected by holy ones but by their body speech and mind it is not holy yeah okay so last 
Last point. Dhamma, true incident. Some time ago, I offended the Buddha. <clears throat> wow. Long story short, I heard verbal abuse at him and had and caused grievous hurt to him in my imagination. Yeah, that's correct. In your imagination. The Buddha is not hurt. <laughs> yeah. But your intent is not good, so you hurt yourself. Then I ended up spending an entire day baking a flora birthday cake for him for his birthday. <laughs> Did anybody eat? I hope somebody ate the cake. Otherwise, you wasted the cake. Huh? I had to use vegan egg replacer <laughs> instead of eggs because apparently the Buddha was kind of a bad vegan. Well, surprise, the Buddha questionable whether he was actually vegan. Huh? Yeah, but don't quote me on that. A lot of people like to argue about whether he's vegan or not. The cakes look okay but smell horrible. So then the question is, did you eat it? Yeah. If not, then you have one more problem. You wasted food. <laughs> whether it's the Buddha, Arahan, Bodhisattvas, the enlightened ones, whatever abuse you may hurl at them, they are not hurt by you. Yeah. But we ourselves we planted the seeds of hurt in ourselves. They don't they are not affected by us. No? Yeah. And perhaps that brings us back to why we do offering. The Buddha don't need these offerings. By doing offerings, we are planting the seeds of relinquishment in us. We are planting, associating, habituating this wholesome act, wholesome mindset, that whatever we possess, that we receive, we not develop attachment to them, that we are willing to and ready to relinquish them at the snap of the finger, at the drop of the hand, if it so benefit others. And with that, let's put our palms together and offer our somewhat purified body, speech and mind to the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha of all ten directions. Yuan Xiao San Zhang Zhu Fan Nao. Yuan Xiao San Zhang Zhu Fan Nao. Yuan De Zhi Hui Zhen Ming Liao. Yuan De Zhi Hui Zhen Ming Liao. Gu Yuan Zui Zhang Xi Xiao Chu. Gu Yuan Zui Zhang Xi Xiao Chu. Shi Shi Chang Xing Pu Sa Dao. Shi Shi Chang Xing Pu Sa Dao. Amitabha. Qi Li.